We are joined by Israeli journalist and author Gideon Levy, who also served as a political aide to President Shimon Peres. We will discuss Israeli politics, Palestine, and U.S. foreign policy. I'd like to first discuss domestic Israeli politics. Recent leaked transcripts detail Benjamin Netanyahu's son admitting to backroom gas deals. Netanyahu's wife also has been caught with her hand in the cookie jar and has um, been under investigation. Netanyahu himself audaciously has stated that no charges will ever stick against him. I recently returned from Israel and a local Israeli told me that the opposition in Israel has always been trying to unsuccessfully take down Netanyahu and that things will continue as is. In your latest piece for Heretz, you say the opposition is a non-opposition fighting over trivialities. Um, do you think Israeli politics will be at all shaken or shall the status quo continue? No, I think it will not be shaken because there is no incentive to shake the Israeli politics because life in Israel is quite good and brainwash system is quite effective. And uh, even if Netanyahu will apparently fall and uh, the opposition will win, we will not see a dramatic change. There will be change in rhetoric. There will be some better atmosphere. But by the end of the day, when it comes to the core issues and above all, the continuous of the occupation, we will see very little change. And on my trip recently to Israel, I unfortunately did not have time to visit Palestine, but did get a glimpse of the situation uh, by going to Bethlehem. In fact, one Israeli told me that, you know, in, in other countries, there are natural disasters or economic crises, but in Israel, there are Arabs. And to be fair, I have heard a Saudi personally tell me that Israel should be pushed into the ocean. Um, but you say there is a sort of cognitive dissonance among Israelis concerning Palestinians, a systematic and unconscious omission of guilt regarding the Palestinian situation. With your years of experience, could you give us some insights on the Palestinian issue, how it is viewed in Israel today, and perhaps what the near future may hold? I think that the Palestinians are demonized and dehumanized over the years um, systematically. And we reach a stage in which most of the Israelis, if not all of them, do not perceive them as equal human beings, not less than this. I think that racism in Israel is very spread and very deep-rooted. We are not dealing only with the extreme right-wingers, the phenomena that you see everywhere else today in Europe and in the West. But in Israel, it really includes everybody. The Palestinians are not equal human beings, and therefore they don't deserve equal rights. That's the only way to maintain the occupation without having too many question marks. And how do you view the leadership in, in Palestine today? Um, we have Trump who recently, you know, the whole issue with moving the, the U.S. embassy, which is called a ruckus. Uh, where do you see uh, the Palestinian leadership today? I think the Palestinians are maybe in their weakest point ever. They are not united, they are divided physically and politically. They lack leadership, they lack spirit of struggle. They are still bleeding from the Second Intifada. They are very lonely. The world lost interest in their faith. And so does the Arab world who just pays some lip service and nothing more but this. 
and they are in a very, very weak point in their history, and this might uh, bring them to another catastrophe. And given what you just said, I, I guess we would assume that there won't be a third intifada. Not, there will be a third intifada, but not in the coming future. They lack the spirit right now and the leadership. I think it will take another generation uh, until another uprising will come. Obviously, there will be another intifada because the occupation is not going to end. And as long as the occupation continues, also the, res the resistance will continue. But uh, it will not be uh, in, in an organized form, in a large-scale form in the coming future. We face now those individual uh, actions. This will continue, obviously. A real intifada, it will take some more time. You've mentioned, you've described a bit the Israeli position towards uh, Palestinians. Do you see a parallel between um, Israeli denial of Palestinian human rights and American exceptionalism, a parallel? No, it's not the same because the Palestinians are living in our backyard. It's not overseas. It is just uh, half an hour away from our homes. And denying their occupation and denying their existence almost and denying the fact that there is occupation is something that I don't recall any precedent in history. Such deep denial when it's really in your own backyard, I, I really can't think about anything parallel. And I'd like to look look at a bit of um, Israel's settlements and, and expansion. Uh, ancient Israel was a larger territory than what it is today, from Egypt to the Euphrates. Since the 1980s, or even earlier perhaps, there has existed this idea in some Zionist circles of a greater Israel project. Um, there are documents such as or, uh, uh, the Yenon plan. This coincides, I believe, with U.S.-NATO foreign policy projects such as a new Middle East that perhaps stretches from Libya and Syria to Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. NATO commander Wesley Clark attested to this. If things continue, I see a slow progression and expansion of Israel eastward as the Middle East and countries like Syria become balkanized if the war against uh, countries like Syria is successful. What insights can you give us? Do you see another stage of expansion? And could Israel get away with it? Or could it result in a large-scale war or, or pushback or blowback? No, I don't see uh, this scenario taking place. For sure not in, in the seen future. I don't know what will be here in 100, 200 years. But in the coming future, I think it's all about the piece of land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. This will remain one entity. Israel has no intention to give up the occupation, but it will not expand more than this because um, all the other uh, areas are heavily populated. And I don't think Israel has any ambition, at least not right now, to rule more Arabs and to run their... their there is no incentive for this, and I don't see it happening, no. On our Geopolitics and Empire YouTube channel, we often have to fend off you know, foul language, derogatory language, um, often which states that Jews or Jewish Zionists are the world's uh, enemy number one. I personally do not believe this. Rather, I see many groups and interests that have great power to lobby for their agendas in Washington. 
This includes the Saudi lobby, the military industrial complex, Wall Street, um, elite net networks such as the Bilderberg Group, and you have APAC or the Israeli Zionist lobby, each vie for their interest, which most of the time is very bad for the world. How do you assess this? Where do you um, this this name calling uh, anti-Semitism and the Israeli lobby and its influence today? No, no. Let's separate. I mean, the Jew Jewish establishment in the world has a lot of influence, but it's not running the world. Saying this is really uh, an exaggeration and is anti-Semitism, and I cannot uh, be part of this because it's 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 not true. As influential as the Jews are in some countries, and only in some countries, they are not running the world. You may say that they run some economies and they run some uh, um, um, other industries, but by the end of the day, if you take the United States, for example, the evangelist uh, lobby is not less uh, powerful, and the weapon industry is powerful, and there are many other lobbies. The Jewish lobby or the Jewish establishment is influential, but uh, I wouldn't go too far with this. Yes, and I, I agree with you, and I just do want to clarify that many people often post on our channel these comments, and I, I do not allow them to, to be posted. Sure, um, sure. What are your thoughts on the U.S. as an empire yeah. and where it is currently heading, many analysts say that in a decade we will see clear and visible signs of its decline as a superpower. And what may happen to Israel when that occurs? Um, first of all, if the Americans would have loved to put an end to the occupation, the occupation would have ended a long time ago. They are the biggest supporters of the occupation. And uh, the financiers of the occupation and the supplies, suppliers of the arms for the occupation. Israel depends on the United States politically, economically, um, uh, militarily, obviously. But uh, it doesn't seem that uh, the United States uh, um, has any intention to push Israel to do anything. And in this stage, uh, as long as the United States is there, Israel can uh, has almost um, unlimited freedom to go wild as wild as it, it wishes. I mean, uh, I, I don't remember a stage like now in which Israel can really do whatever it wants. It wants to attack Gaza. It can attack Gaza. It wants to annexate the, the, the West Bank. I think they even can annexate the, the West Bank. They want to build more settlements. They can build more settlements. A carte blanche by the United States, but the United States uh, is um, a dying empire. I mean, it will take some time, much time, maybe decades. But uh, by the end of the day, we see the new powers uh, emerging, and once the new powers will be there, uh, yeah, Israel will be in a, will face a new challenge, a very big challenge. But until now, Israel is doing quite well in the international arena. So maybe Israel will find a new ally. Who knows? The prime minister is now in India and he's accepted there like a king. So who knows? Mm -hmm. And to look at Iran for a second, you know, when I was in Israel, uh, local Israelis always going on about uh, Iran and I can't understand this obsession with Iran. I've got Iranian friends as well. And, you know, for centuries, Iran has been peaceful until 1953 when the U.S. overthrew them. 
and suffered the, con- the consequences, which was the 79 Islamic Revolution. Um, they keep repeating that Iran is the greatest sponsor of terrorism, when I believe it was in the 1980s that the U.S. Uh, inadvertently or, or wittingly, unwittingly, however you want to say it, created Al-Qaeda. Um, and there are people today that say the U.S. arms, trains, and finances ISIS, such as the former Defense Intelligence Agency Director Michael Flynn, Russian President Vladimir Putin has alluded to that, and most recently the former Afghan Prime Minister Hamid Karzai has said precisely this. Uh, what is the issue with Iran? Is it simply business and geopolitics that Iran is a threat to the U.S., NATO, Israel, world order? What's the deal there? I think Iran is a threat, and Israel is using this threat, this threat for its own uh, manipulations. Uh, Israel is exaggerating the scale of the threat and using it as Israel always needs also for domestic politics, but not only for domestic politics. Israel always needs uh, an external enemy. And the more powerful it is and the more uh, threatening it is, the better. And as the Palestinians cannot be perceived as an existential threat to Israel, and as the Arab states are now quite preoccupied with other issues rather than Israel, rather than threatening Israel, Israel had to invent itself uh, a new external uh, threat. And Iran uh, is playing quite faithfully this role. This does not mean that Iran is not a threat. Iran is a threat, but much a smaller one than Israel is describing. And what about the political language and use of the term uh, regime? Uh, even if I may not like the Iranian government or theocracy, yeah, I still refer to it as a, as a government. But Israelis make it a point to call Iran a regime, which implies it should be overthrown. Uh, I believe you've also referred to the Israeli government as a regime, if I'm not mistaken. Is it, un- right. is it unfair to use this term, uh, regime? Or does it have a negative connotation? I call the occupation as a regime. And, and it is a regime because uh, when uh, when when uh, a certain regime is is uh, playing in a not democratic way and is quite well established and is there to stay, it's not just you know a temporary phenomena of one government uh, which will be replaced by another government which will be totally different then you don't call it a regime. But in Iran and their occupation as well, they are regimes. They are there to stay. They uh, have no uh, changes, uh, built-in changes. They are anti-democratic, obviously, uh, or not democratic. And um, I have no problem in using this term both to the occupation and to the regime or the government in Iran. The government in Iran cannot change in the in the current system, it cannot change and become tomorrow a liberal, a free government, secular government. No, it is within a framework of a regime. Moving back to, to Palestine, um, listening to your interviews, reading your articles, uh, your hope, it seems, for a solution to the Israel-Palestine issue seems to be looking towards international institutions. Can you give us an example uh, of what that hope might might look like? Yeah, I I, I um, 
realistic enough to understand that the change will not come from within Israeli society because Israeli society has no incentive to go for any change. There is no reason to go for change. As I said, life is very good in Israel and brainwash is very effective. Governments are supporting Israel and just paying uh, lip service against the occupation, but they don't seem to do anything. And then the only hope is really civil society, mainly in the West, but not only in the West. And the best example is obviously BDS. BDS is right now the only game in town. It had until now quite a limited influence, but Israel is very, very nervous about BDS, which shows that uh, it is effective. And uh, even if BDS did not have until now uh, really dramatic uh, outcomes economically or elsewhere, but uh, they are a threat for Israel. And uh, things like BDS, uh, why to go far? Uh, We can uh, watch the South African model and see what brought uh, the end of apartheid in South Africa. It was mainly international sanctions and international pressure and boycotts and civil societies, which uh, apparently won. I do have one more question that I have not often heard dealt with. Um, I myself am a Christian and do support a state of Israel, but at the same time, I realize that all peoples, including Palestinian Arabs, should be treated with equal respect. And just as you once said at the National Press Club that it was not for you to judge American politics, it's not for me to judge Israeli politics. I leave that to Israeli uh, citizens. How, how do some of us who have unconventional positions, perhaps, on Israel-Palestine deal with, with uh, such a paradox? Um, absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't see uh, any contradiction. There are many Christians who are very active with support to the Palestinians, with solidarity to the Palestinians. Many churches, by the way, in Europe. I go quite often to Sweden, for example. The church in Sweden is very active in favor of uh, the the Palestinians and against the Israeli occupation. You see it in many other countries. There is no contradiction between being Christian and being uh, um, pro-Palestinian or pro-justice or pro-human rights or pro-international law. Okay. And is there any final thought or comment you'd like to, to leave us with? I think that uh, as you can realize, I'm very pessimistic, but we should remember that many things in history um, occurred uh, in the most unexpected way. So maybe also uh, here something unexpected will happen because if to go along the expected line, I don't see much hope for, for any change. But as I say, the unexpected is very often surprising us. Let's hope it will happen also here. Okay, uh, Mr. Levy, we thank you for your time, for your insights into such complex issues. And hopefully, you know, some surprises, as you say, do happen, some miracles. uh, And we wish you the best on your future endeavors. Thank you so much for having me.